Welcome to Rooted and Reaching, a podcast about startups and entrepreneurs in the South Bend Elkhart region of Indiana. My name is Bethany Hartley. And I'm Nick Kuhn. Today, I'll be speaking with Kevin Craig from Tessellated, and he'll be sharing a bit about his journey in creating a new type of graphene to make materials we're familiar with lighter and stronger. We hope you enjoy. Well, we're here today with Kevin Craig from Tessellated. Kevin, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks. It's yeah. great to be here. I'm looking forward to talking with you and learning more. Yeah. Cool. So uh, we met a couple years ago. Uh, we were at the Idea Center in Notre Dame. Mm. We kind of walked around, bumped into each other, and uh, you, you were interested in being an entrepreneur. Yeah. And here you are. Yes, it happened. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, what I'd love to do is just kind of rewind the clock a little bit. And just start from your backstory and figure out, and then we can kind of make our way to where you're at today. So, where'd you grow up? What was that like? And and kind of what you, what was your some fond memories of your childhood? Yeah, so I I grew up uh, about five hours from here in post-industrial Rust Belt and uh, tri-state area of West Virginia, Ohio, Pennsylvania. And uh, you know, thirty years ago, the job situation was grow up, work in the steel mill, go off to college, or join the military. Wasn't really interested in college or working in steel, so I went off to the military. And 27 years later, retired and settled here. But during that time, I you know initially got paid to fix airplanes. And when you get really good at something, they put you in charge. So I watched people fix airplanes after that. So it's even far less entertaining than you'd imagine. And uh, so for the last 12 years I was in the Air Force, I was in the positions that you would, you know, in the civilian world, call C-suite. So we were running units from 100 to 1,000 deployed and at home. And uh, so largely it was just a lot of, you know, aircraft maintenance and intel collection and processing, those type of jobs. So you're in the Air Force. Is there a reason you chose that branch? I chose the Air Force not to make fun of anyone, but my dad was told me I couldn't join the Marines or Army. <laughs> and Navy was an option, but I heard my granddad's World War II stories. And so Air Force was the only place to go. Process of elimination. Pretty much, yeah. Great. So yeah. you were... Are you mechanical by nature? Did you enjoy the process of learning that? Or did you already just kind of bring that into your, your service there? Yeah, I always had an inclination towards electronics. So I was electronic maintenance. And uh, so what we worked on initially was uh, component level repair. So a lot of troubleshooting, which is something I, I tend to like. And on large computer systems, you know, in the back of an airplane, collecting Intel was just by nature interesting. And in that 27 years, I spent 17 years overseas. And so that kept me, you know, engaged, knowing that every single day when you did your job properly, uh, we were actually, it was a good mission, you know, accomplishment feeling. Yeah. What were some interesting takeaways from your military, time in the military, whether it's fun or a place you traveled or just maybe life lessons? Yeah, you know, one of the big things I didn't realize I took away, but somebody kind of summed it up in a, a conversation I had with a retired Chicago cop. Ask that person if they ever miss being part of the force. And he said, I miss 
the clowns, but I don't miss the circus. And I would say the same about the military. The people that I was able to serve with were incredible. I don't know that I miss, you know, the things about the Air Force and some of the, you know, things that aren't fun. But the takeaway was in any organization, it's about the people. Um, and that really kind of translates well to the civilian world and starting a new company, to be sure. Interesting. Cool. So you served for 27 seven years. Yeah. And then we met at some point after that. So mm-hmm. how did you get from, you know, repairing airplanes and, and being overseas and deployed different places to the Idea Center? Yeah, so it was exactly the way I planned it. Uh, I taught high school at Washington High School uh, prior to the West Side for a year and uh, taught junior OTC. So I was teaching high school students about leadership and community. And uh, they closed the program. So with some advice from a VA counselor, I went back and got an MBA. And I did that at Notre Dame in the executive program. During that time, I actually worked at the Idea Center um, doing uh, analysis on startups. And I didn't know about the business world. And so the MBA was really a way to translate the things I knew about the military into civilian words. I learned things like burn rate. Uh, I always thought that was how fast you can be at afterburner in an F-16 and still get home safely. But apparently it means that, you know, when you go find a new job. And so it was a great time to do that. And then in the practical sense, I was looking at startups in the community and making an assessment and recommending that to the Idea Center for, you know, kind of go, no go looks. But I really got it in my blood that this was something that, you know, military veterans aren't, we're not, often able to replace what we did in the military. But this is something that got me out of bed and got me fired up and excited about uh, serving again in a new capacity. Fascinating. So a lot of times I work with entrepreneurs that have an idea. They come to me and they say, hey, I figured this out. And I have to take a look at that opportunity and the market size and then the person and say, are you the right person for this? Or maybe, maybe there's a mismatch, maybe it's a perfect match. You, on the other hand, found some technology that was, um, in the process of being uh, developed and commercialized. Can you talk a little bit about what that means to um, to graft yourself into a moving uh, opportunity? Yes, that was very interesting. Uh, I don't have a material science background. And the, the company I'm working on now is a material science, so we're making a, a high-strength polymer film. And trying to understand quickly what the thing is in layman's terms, and then we're where it finds its way in the in the world. And what I like about that is that there aren't many books on the subject of how to scale something from the lab into a consumer good or for use in the military. So there's a lot of troubleshooting and figure things out. One thing, another translation from the military I learned was military veterans have the same skill set as entrepreneurs. And that skill set generally is very good with ambiguity, being able to be decisive in the face of imperfect information, and the ability to get punched in the face and keep moving forward. And if you talk to any entrepreneurs, that's pretty much the daily life, right? It's about uh, small wins and lots of losses. And so tabulating those in a way that you know keeps you going every day. That's uh, no, great, great advice for any entrepreneur. Get punched in the face, get back up, because it's gonna happen. It does. And hopefully you learn to duck or to use the top of your head to, so when it doesn't hurt as That's much. That's called de-risking as I understand it. <laughs> <laughs> All the terms are coming back now. Excellent. So let's talk a little bit about graphene. Can mm-hmm. you describe that material? What is it? So graphene is uh, a single layer of carbon. And so most of us understand when you when you write with a pencil, it's graphite. And as you make a line across the paper, you're actually exfoliating or shearing off a little bit of that graphene 
fight into single layers of carbon. If you can get it down to single layers of carbon, it's first of all very, very small and very, very light. Uh, if I bought a spoonful of graphene and kind of threw it in the air, it would float. Uh, so it's extremely light. But what it does is it, um, it, it adds, in our case, thermal conductivity and extreme strength to something that is generally not very strong. So what can it do better than something is doing right now? So what it does is, is that thing. So in our case, it gives us uh, a structure to align polymer film on top of. And so in the absence of that, uh, you know, plastic, if you pull it and it gets kind of strong and then it breaks, this allows uh, us in, you know, that's a simplistic version of that, but in a very more complex way, it gives us the ability to take all of those natural organic capabilities of the plastic and go beyond that using graphene as a kind of a, a lattice. Got it. So... Yeah, this new technology, material science technology, it's coming from Notre Dame, if I'm not mistaken. Is, is that right? Okay, yeah. so it's from a lab. Yes. And it's not on the shelf. No one's going to go buy this yet. No. And there's a process you need to go through to what's called commercialize this, yes. right? To bring it to market. Mm -hmm. And we were chatting a little bit earlier about some of the programs that you've been leveraging, including one uh, that's had a good, good, good um, acronym, the SBIR, the Small Business Innovation Research mm -hmm. Grant. Um, yeah. And the, can you tell us a little bit about how the government assists entrepreneurs and innovative technology? Yeah, so the program is new to me over the last few years. And basically the intent is this, is that the government can't fully fund all of its research needs, any way from decarbonization to defense needs to, to health things. So they have a pot of money called SBIR, STTR. And that money um, is given to small businesses who are by nature agile and innovative to solve very specific problems in the, in the, for the government. And the idea is that those small businesses make a product that solves a government problem. But also every requirement is we have to address how that has a dual use purpose. So how does the tax dollar see benefit from their tax monies being used in this way? And so when that money comes in, we, we employ people. We just hired two people this month based on the grants and contracts we received in that way. So if you look at economic development, you know, we're hiring people eventually we may build a facility here to manufacture this material. All of those on the back of um, these grants and contracts. Does that mean that part of the government, whether it's the Air Force or Navy or some other form, the you know, maybe Department of Transportation, will be mm -hmm. utilizing the graphene at some point? Yeah, so the idea is, um, for instance, the Army is interested in, thermo, uh, in uh, transparent ballistic material. And so the idea is that you would start with some basic research, which we've done, and then the next phase would be to build out a prototype and prove that your technology works in application. Um, imagining that being successful, the Army then can turn on a contract vehicle to be a customer of that material. And at the same time, how do you get it into the, you know, the hands of uh, civilians? Right. So you have two paths yes. to sell to. One, yes. one would potentially be the military, the other would be, or the yes. government. Excellent. How long does this process take to go from the lab to something usable and, and integrated into materials of this ballistic material you mentioned? Yeah, so uh, understanding that research takes time. So this this has been a development for at least the last five or six years. So the way that looks like is a researcher is funded to do research. They find something, they bring it to a commercialization in a university. Uh, that's where they do the analytic work I used to do is you know, is there something here? Should we protect it with a patent? And if so, should we spin out a company to bring it to bring it to life? And so that process can take 
a decade or more. Mm-hmm. Uh, in our case, the technology has been in the hands of the university for several years. I've been employed for a year this February. And so the hope is that we can understand what manufacturing looks like this year and be product, you know, have a product in hand, you know, in a year or so. Excellent. Uh, zooming out a little bit, uh, you've been walked the entrepreneur journey, kind of envisioned it. You brought you, but got your MBA, you got the mm-hmm. postgraduate uh, work done, and you kind of worked into this role and have learned a lot. How would you pass that forward? What encouragement or advice would you tell uh, an aspiring entrepreneur uh, about what you've learned and mm-hmm. some advice, any, anything that would be helpful for them? I would say the first thing is properly tabulate wins and losses. Two examples. When I was in the military, I I had all the stripes and people would walk in and go, oh, this person must have been a success. But what I would tell them is my win-loss record, the Air Force actually told me no more than it told me yes on, on promotion. So really I had a losing record, but ultimately I was successful. Most of us have a Roku in our house and Roku is the Japanese word for six. The reason uh, the founder named it six is because it was a six startup. So really, if you write down his win-loss record, he's one in five on startups. So he's a loser, but he's also a billionaire and has impacted literally millions of people. So understanding what success is and that you're going to take a lot more L's than dubs. And and sometimes success means just more hard work. Hmm. So uh, even when you get a win, cheer a little bit and get back at it. Yeah. So for every punch in the face... You need four punches in the face for one handshake. That's I, it's a good ratio I'd go from. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Kevin, thanks for being on the podcast. It's been great to get to know you a little bit better, hear about Tesselated and what you bring in the market. Yeah. Appreciate your service. Yeah. Thank you so much. All right. Take care.